Uh, the Bruins fell to the Red Wings the other night in Detroit, five to four final. Uh, bit of a sloppy game. A lot of one of those games where the officiating was was heavily involved um, on both sides. But um, Bridget and Scott, hope you guys are doing well. Had a good weekend. Let's jump into the opening shifts here. Yeah. So my opening shift is just that missing half of your regular defense score. A lot more noticeable in game two than game one. Uh, against Toronto on Thursday night, Bruins overcame it very well and beat a good Toronto team. On Saturday, more noticeable. Uh, Mason Lorai, after a great first game in the NHL, struggled to bid in his second game. Also, in fairness to him, had a couple tough penalty calls against him. Um, I'm not convinced that either of his penalties was actually even a penalty, but that's that was sort of the way that this game went. But he had a couple tough moments even besides the penalties. Um, Parker Wotherspoon, I think, was at fault on Detroit's third goal. He wound up playing a very limited role, certainly in the third period and really the second half of the game. Uh, you know, Ian Mitchell was fine, but didn't really notice him getting as involved offensively as I think he – his strength – when he's playing well is clearly contributing offensively and being active uh, on the rush and in the offensive zone. And I, I just don't think he really got much of a chance to do that. I think he spent a lot of time in his own zone. So yeah, the Bruins give up five goals for the first time this season. Um, give up two power play goals for the first time, three, five on five goals. First time they've done that. So you just noticed some breakdowns probably wasn't Linus Allmark's best game behind them either, but um, yeah, that's, that's my shift. Just team defense wasn't there. And, and the absence of McAvoy, Grizzly and Forbert was noticeable. Scotty, that was a long shift. I'm, you must be winded. Um, <laughs> um, I actually, I mean, we all really can I, can have, get my bio steel. Yeah. Yeah. Hurry up and take some of that. Um, so I think all of us really have a lot of thoughts on the defense. Um, I have a little bit to say about the first line of Coyle, DeBrusque, and Marshawn. I thought that of the offensive lines, that that was the that was the trio that had the strongest game. I think um, you started to see the chemistry that could be there. I'm not sure if it's, uh, and we can talk about this later what the best line combinations are because uh, we talked about just before we get on here, maybe the bottom six was stagnant, even though the top six looked um, to be flowing fairly well. And I thought that that Marshawn line looked good. The, the DeBrus setup on the coil goal was really nice. Um, one of the bright spots in the loss. For me, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those nights where you sit back and you say, oh, wow, I guess the Bruins aren't going to go undefeated this year in regulation. Uh, they finally obviously lost their first game regulation. And while we all knew that was inevitable, the questions for me naturally that follow are, how does this team now bounce back? How, how is this team going to be characterized this year after after defeats and regulation, tough losses where you're in it, but you're on the wrong wrong side of the scoreboard? Will this team have that that punch back ability that they had last year uh, after a loss and and not allow uh, losses to compile into into losing streaks? And so obviously there's there's takeaways from the game as to why they they lost. As I said, it was inevitable. Um, but it's it's a tough stretch of hockey this month. And so uh, let yeah now let's see. We've seen this Bruins team so far through October kind of win games, 
sometimes games they didn't really play great in. I feel like they're getting outshot a lot this year in games. Um, so October was kind of their month when they, even when they weren't playing great, they were still getting wins. And now they get their first regulation loss of the season. Let's just see how this team's makeup is um, through adversity. Yeah. And to that point, they have a huge challenge when it comes to bouncing back because Monday night they're in Dallas to face a very good stars teams. And we know they still don't have Grizzly. He's on long-term IR. They don't have McAvoy, you know, current, he's still appealing his suspension. There is as of recording this Sunday night, there has not been any ruling. Um, but even first off, I, as I said on our last podcast, I don't expect anything to get cut off. Even if something does, it's only going to be one game. So no matter what, he's going to miss Monday's game. And Forbert's still day-to-day. He did travel with the team, which indicates to me that they think there's at least a chance he was going to play on this road trip. Obviously, he missed the first game. Um, so I guess we'll see if he's ready for Dallas. And even though, you know, as we've talked about plenty, like I don't think Forbert helps you all that much at five-on-five. But he can't help you on the penalty kill. And as I mentioned, we did see the Bruins for the first time this season give up multiple power play goals in one game. Um, obviously, part of that is that they were shorthanded eight times because there were just a bajillion penalty calls. Um, not all of those are full power plays. Some were like a few seconds here and there. But, uh, you know, we, we did see their the Detroit power play sort of did a good job breaking down the Bruins penalty kill and ended up with some seam passes that the Bruins are usually, I would say early in the season, the Bruins were giving some of those up and the goaltending was bailing them out. Then they tightened up. They weren't giving them up. And now we saw, saw that kind of come back as a problem on Saturday. Yeah, no, the penalty kill uh, forward could, we, we know how forward could help the penalty kill. Um, luckily for the Bruins, he seems to be, close to coming back. And so they're not going to be down three defensemen for much longer. But as we talked about, Grizzly is going to be the longest. Um, McAvoy, I don't think, is going to get any games taken off his suspension. So that means um, the Dallas game and the Islanders game, he'll probably miss both and be back for Montreal. Uh, I thought that we asked a question last podcast, how sustainable is it to have Witherspoon Mason Lorai and Ian Mitchell on your like as fill-ins and can, could the Bruins win all four games with those two guys or those three guys in there and we, the answer is no uh they lost um and there were certain times in the game where you could really see the lack of experience I thought the third period was really rough for Witherspoon uh he was on the ice for two of those goals and Detroit's comeback and out of position and just making the wrong read. He had an assist on the cool goal in the second period and he looked good on that. He, he won the puck along the boards, made an outlet ends up with DeBrusque and coil for the goal. But then he just had these breakdowns and, and that was it for the Bruins. I mean, they headed into that third period winning and then some rough shifts for him with Shattenkirk as his partner. And it just it did not, it, it didn't look good. Uh, it was, easy to see how that could get exposed. Yeah, that, that stretch in the third period there where Detroit had three goals in a matter of minutes, really, that, that's something that you just don't see if the Bruins are at full health on defense. That's just, that's just you know, AHL defensemen getting getting exposed um, 
really. I mean, the, the Dylan Larkin goal, uh, Witherspoon, just, you know, you can't, you, as a right defense, you, you can't be on the, you know, five feet from Shattenkirk on the left side. Like that's just in transition. It's, it's, it's just the wrong, wrong play. And you don't have the speed to, to match Larkin. So yeah, it, it's just, yeah. Like, like defense is the strength of their team. No doubt about it. Defense and goaltending their defensive depth is being tested right now with, with three regulars out of the lineup. Um, but shifting to, to, to Scott's opening take with Lori, what did, what did you two see out of Lori uh, in Toronto? Cause I haven't had a chance to discuss the Toronto game with you guys, but what did, what did he do well in Toronto that he just couldn't do uh, against Detroit? Well, I think if you start in his own zone and then against Toronto after he, he did bobble a couple breakouts like very early in the Toronto game and then was really clean the rest of the way and consistently starting transition opportunities. Uh, I thought against Detroit, he had more um, rough breakouts or just trying to force plays that weren't there. Uh, I thought he struggled to get as involved offensively, um, which was certainly a strength against Toronto as well. Uh, down the stretch, Montgomery was throwing him out there for like almost every offensive zone shift because he kept making things happen. And against Detroit, Montgomery threw him out for a lot of those ozone shifts again, but he just wasn't as involved or as noticeable or making as many plays. And then obviously the um, Detroit's fifth goal, you know, Andrew Cobb just really out muscles Lori along the boards, gets position on him, holds him, holds him off to get the zone entry. Um, and then I, I did think Ian Mitchell was a little bit at fault as well. I thought he gave JT Confer way too much of a gap. Um, Confer gets a shot off that hits the hits the post, and then cops there to bury the rebound. Just again beat beat Lori to the puck. You know, a little bit of a fortunate bounce went right to him, but uh, that that was a tough play for Lori too. And like I said, on on the box score, it's going to look even worse because he also had two penalties in the, in the third period one that led to a goal against, I, I get, like I said, I thought both were marginal calls at best. One's a hook where um, I think it was either cop or confer. Those two should not be on the same team. Cause I just get them confused all the time. Um, like chicken winged and, you know, grabbed a stick under his elbow to hold it there. And then the, the second one, Laura, I like nudges Michael Rasmussen and Rasmussen just collapses into the boards and and hits his face on the dash in the process, which made it look worse. But like in my mind, it was really Rasmussen's doing. Like I, there's no way the contact Lori made caused him to to flop that hard. Did you did you hear what Brick said? <laughs> he said it's a pushing call, like a pushing penalty, because it wasn't a full cross check. It was just a it was barely contact. And yeah, the one where he loses his stick, it got sick. Those are the ones that bother me too. Like, okay, clearly the other guy is making it look much worse than what it was. And I will say Larkin had a play in the, I think it was in the first period where he acted like he died, drew a penalty. And then like he was on the ice for a while. And there was a lot of kind of like that fake, I don't know, more of like a soccery feel to it during different parts. And that's one of the things about hockey that I always say is, better than other sports you don't usually see that but I feel like there was some of that in the Detroit game for sure um I will say to answer your question Ryan the big difference from the Toronto game to the Detroit game he wasn't paired with Brendan Carlo 
in the Detroit game. And he was paired with Brendan Carlo for a majority of the Toronto game. And I like that pairing. And they ended up going this week or this game against Detroit with putting Carlo and Lindholm on the same pairing where I thought it worked best when they were separate and you kind of spread out your top two defensemen rather than stick them together. I know Scott, you're like looking up what the matchup was for who they were getting sent out against. And that's probably the reasoning for it. But I just felt like you gave Lori a safety net uh, with Carlo there on his, on his side, you got these two big guys. I felt like they were, working well together. I just liked the way that that combination looked. And then you move him with some of the less experienced guys. And even, I know Shattenkirk's been in the league a long time, but in the Bruins system, he hasn't been. So you're, you're moving him around with, with people that I think he's less comfortable playing with than, than somebody like Brendan Carlo, who we mentioned is probably having the best stretch of his career. Put him with someone who needs help. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I, I'm glad you bring up Carlo because I think, I think a lot of people are saying the same thing and that's that what you just mentioned, Bridget, he's had the best start to his career. And it's just, it's just, he just seems to uh, be a little bit more physically demanding out there a little bit, uh, using his size um, to be a little bit more imposing, a little bit more of a leader, a physical presence. It's not, I mean, he's all, you look at Brandon Carlo's career. He's always been a, a great defensive player. I mean, his, his, his career plus minus is through the roof for, for a 26 year old player. I think he was like plus 44 last year or something like that. Um, career. Yeah, it's right here. He's a, a career uh, plus 107. So like, obviously a lot of that's system based, but he's always been a very dependable defenseman, but he just seems to have taken that next step from a, from a leadership perspective. Yeah. I mean, Bridget, you touched on, but I do think it was, First off, I mean, Laura and Shattenkirk were together basically the second half of the Toronto game, and and they did look good together. Um, and Montgomery had done that because he wanted Lindholm and Carlo out against the Matthews line, which he thought was winning too many of its shifts. And I think Detroit, he wanted them out against the, the Larkin-DeBrinkett line. Um, and even on the road, he was able to get that matchup a lot, able to get Lindholm and Carlo out against Larkin and Debrinket. Um, but to your point, like Laura and Shattenkirk weren't as good together Saturday as they were Thursday. So you do wonder, like at some point, you know, should he have gone to Laura Carlo, Lindholm, Shattenkirk, whatever. And, you know, maybe for like a tough D zone draw, you can still go Lindholm, Carlo. Um, but yeah, cause then, then you ended up with like a sort of a rotation where, Weatherspoon was playing sparingly in the third period. So then you'd, you'd get some Lori Mitchell shifts, some Mitchell Shattenkirk shifts. And it's like that bottom three was kind of rotating through. So it seemed, it seemed hard for any of them to really find a rhythm. Um, while, you know, Lindholm Carlo got the, the toughest matchups. Uh, and quickly, just to correct myself, I think I said Lori's two penalties were in the third period. They were both in the second period. Yeah, so I mean, we'll 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 continue to see his trial here. It sounds like he's one and one so far. Um, but again, the team look when you give up five goals, the team wasn't all that great defensively either. He still has the most upside of the three, I think. Um, even though like he had he had the two polar like games, right? He was 
really good. Um, he showed a lot of his upside against Toronto, which is a, is a tough team to play against. Um, and those are tough guys to, that you're defending against. But um, I think he still has the most upside. So because we're still throughout this time until we get to see McAvoy come back um, and Grizzly come back, there's somebody that's going to stick around. Um, so like there's there's room for one of these guys to stick around for a little bit. And I don't know if you guys have a preference as of yet, or you still want to watch the way that Mitchell works in Lori. And, and I don't think Witherspoon's going to be the one to stay around, but um, yeah. I still think that Lori has the most upside. And if he gets back to the way he played against Toronto, then he, he'd probably be the one sticking around a little bit longer. I don't doubt it at all. That's, that's exactly who I would choose. Uh, the upside is, I mean, he's 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 the guy you want going forward, right? He he's he's a top four fixture for this team, you know, if not full time this year, like for the next decade. Like he's the guy that you're circling, not the other two. So, and for good reason. And yeah, what you saw against Toronto, the way you know, the way he can he can create offense and join the rush, and you know, you know, be mobile at the top of the blue line in the offensive zone, like and just find passing lanes and, you know, the, the defensive side will, will continue to grow, but you know, the offensive side that he has, you know, you just can't teach that. Yeah. I mean, he, he has to be the one to, to stick around until at least until Grizzly comes back. And if he plays well, then he stays in the lineup all year. Um, Grizzly is out and through Thanksgiving. Uh, the first game he would be eligible to return is that Saturday after Thanksgiving down in New York. Um, so yeah, Lori should be the one to get the extended look. He's the only one that can handle a top four role out of that group. Like you're not, you're obviously not giving Parker Weatherspoon top four minutes. You're not giving Ian Mitchell top four minutes. And I don't like, yeah, Forbert should be back soon, but I don't like the idea of Forbert in a top four role. Like he should be, if he's playing, he should be third pairing PK specialist. And that's it. That's all I really want Derek Forbert to be. So yeah, you, you, keep giving Lori opportunities and um, unless he has like three, four, five rough games in a row. And it's like, uh, you know what? Like we're, we're clearly like hurting him by continuing to throw him out there. Let's get him back to Providence. Unless that happens, like you, you give him the opportunities. You, you see what you have in him because again, the upside is he plays well. We see more of him playing the way he played against Toronto and now you have a top four defenseman going forward, not just next year and beyond, but this year. Like he, the, then the conversation shifts to who's coming out of the lineup out of Forbert, Grizzly, and Shattenkirk, and we we can talk about that if that's how this plays out. But in my mind, if Loride plays well through this stretch, like he's he's sticking around and he's sticking around in a top four role. Yeah, uh, and it was just a weird game too, like there was not a lot of flow to it. It was kind of a hard hockey game to watch. If you really think about all the penalties and the frustration that that was causing players. And it was not an ideal game to begin with. Laura, still got the second most amount of ice time of anyone behind Lindholm. Um, even considering the fact he was in the box twice, he still got a lot of minutes. Um, I don't think that after this game, he, I, if you think about it, who played a worse game? Wotherspoon, Mitchell, or Lori in Detroit? Who, like, if you were to rank one, two, three? I would, 
I would say Wotherspoon had the worst game. I think Laura made more mistakes than Mitchell. Obviously, as you mentioned, he was he was out there more. He got tougher matchups. He has the puck on his stick more. So, like, there's more opportunities to make mistakes. But I don't know. I'd like, again, Mitchell, I just thought was kind of just invisible. And with a defenseman, that's almost neither good nor bad. Um, other than, like I said, maybe having a bad gap on that one goal, but, um, yeah, I mean, none, none of them had a good game. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, ultimately for me, it's, you know, Mitchell and Witherspoon, they're just a guy. The Bruins want Lori to be the guy, like along with like McAvoy, like now and in the future. So I just, I don't think even taking one game snapshots and comparing them, even if, even if Witherspoon and Mitchell had amazing games and Lori sucked, it's, it doesn't. You know, you're talking about a blue chip prospect and a couple of journeymen, really. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, another interesting thing, Bridget, you mentioned it was a tough game to watch. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do this thing where I don't get worked up about officiating. I've, I, over the last few years, I've just accepted every game. It sucks for every team, um, but boy, the situational awareness and desire to just be seen at the end of that game by the, by the officials was absurd. I mean, I've never seen a team down a goal with the goalie pulled or about to pull the goalie, whatever, and get called for two minor infractions to go down on a five on three. And you look at the, you look at the calls and it's like, huh? What? What'd you just call? Like the passion act trip, the, the, the Charlie coil um, hold. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, talk about just like from a product perspective. You just took a five-four game, and now fans of both teams know the outcome. Now Detroit now wins. Like you just made it five on three with a minute fifty to go, and it's like, come on. Um, so that was pretty and, tough to watch. And we've we haven't seen Jim Montgomery super frustrated in his entirety of his first year because that season was going so well. This is probably the angriest we've ever seen him behind the bench. He got called for abusive officials after the game for whatever he was yelling. And it was probably less what he was saying and more the fact that he was screaming at them the entire game because they were they were messing up the entire game. So he gets that call. And at that point, who cares? Because you can't go down more than five on three. So just keep like at that point, it was kind of incentivized to just however many penalties you feel like committing because it wasn't going to make a difference. Game was over and you can't send anyone else to the box. So Marshawn gets in there. I don't know. It was a whole mess. Yeah, that was clearly a, a Montgomery's party culmination of the whole night. And I think, it, I, honestly, like I feel like it was like an intentional effort to get a penalty to make sure he made his point known. Um, yeah, I mean, the two late ones, like, they, I do think they both were technically penalties. Like, Pasternak was a trip, and in fairness, like, they had called a couple other trips that were just guys getting their uh, stick under someone's skate. Um, so I sort of feel like they had to call that one. Coils was – he does, like, reach out and grab – I think it was Cider, but it was it, – it's still a soft call for me. Like – you don't have to call it. You see that a lot. Like anytime one guy is kind of jumping around another, there's usually some sort of little tug there or something. And 
Yeah, I, I definitely don't think they have to call that in that situation, even if it, even if there was technically like a hold or a tug there. Um, well, because because Scott, there's there's technically probably you know seventy five other minor infractions over the course of a game that don't get called because because it happens all the time, and that's why I was kind of saying like it, there's a lack of situational awareness. Like I I agree, like technically they're calls, but technically calls get missed all game. So, yeah, the, the the ones that bother me more were the the two on Laura I already mentioned, where I thought both were both were soft and both were clearly Red Wings players selling it, and then the the Carlo interference penalty, and in, I think that was in the first period, where Dylan Larkin's the one who initiates contact, and somehow Carlo gets called for interference like that. That was absolutely baffling. Um, and that was you know, one where, where Larkin ended up on the ground for a while, and like that, like kind of sold it, I think. Well, and it was one where the the Red Wings scored. I think that's when they got their first goal. Yeah, the Raymond, it was the Raymond yeah. power play goal. So yeah, so um, both both Detroit power play goals came after penalties that shouldn't have been called. So yeah, like you don't like complaining about refs, but I mean, they unquestionably did impact the game and the result. 